Hi, and welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast. My name is Isabel Ross, and I'm the coach at Peak Endurance Coaching. Episode 54 is an interview with Stacey Sims, author of the book, Raw. Stacey T. Sims, PhD, is an applied researcher, innovator, and entrepreneur in human performance, specifically sex differences in training, nutrition, and environmental conditions. Prior to be launched into industry, she served as an exercise physiologist and nutrition scientist at Stanford University from 2007 to 2012, where she specialised in sex differences with environmental and nutritional considerations for recovery and performance, specialising in women's health and performance. With unique opportunities Silicon Valley has to offer, during her tenure at Stanford, she had the opportunity to translate earlier research into consumer products and a science-based layperson's book, which is raw, written to explain sex differences in training and nutrition across the lifespan. Both the consumer products and the book challenge the existing dogma for women in exercise, nutrition and health. And if you haven't read her book, Raw, I highly recommend it. And I believe that men and women will get a lot from this book. Her contributions to the international research environment and the sports nutrition industry has established a new niche in sports nutrition and established her reputation as the, the expert in sex differences in training, nutrition and health. She is a regularly featured speaker at professional and academic conferences, including those hosted by the US Olympic Committee, High Performance Sport New Zealand, and USA Cycling. She is a senior research associate at AUT University and resides at the beach in Mount Monagoni, New Zealand. I have no idea how to pronounce that. I should have asked her. With her husband and young daughter. I really hope you enjoy this uh, interview that I did with Stacey. I had been trying to get on to Stacey for a while and finally did. I was so looking forward to this um, interview. She is just an amazing person and has done so much to help women athletes. And like I said, I still believe that men will get a lot out of this, as I'm sure they will then be able to help the women that are in their lives. Times are tough at the moment, and if you are injured or have persistent niggles stopping you from running, they can feel even tougher. Come in and see the specialists at Health and High Performance where they utilise the latest in technology and experience to help you get back to your running best. So, to get to the point again where you are achieving the results you want and are capable of, head to www.healthhp.com.au forward slash run. I really hope you enjoy this interview with Stacey just as much as I did. Hi, Stacey, and welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast. Hi, Isabel. How are you doing today? I'm really good. How about you? All right. Um, yeah, started raining recently. Ah, so that's okay. a bit weird, but Yeah, so yeah. You're, you're in New Zealand, aren't you? Yeah. And, and yeah. The, it's been a cold. Is it cold? I hear it's pretty cold there at the moment. It is. It's, um, yeah, I'm not a fan of winter and I still have a hard time getting my head around the fact July is winter yeah, and not summer. Course. Yes. Um, yeah. So it's a hard sell, both cold, dark, and it should be summer. <laughs> Fair enough. Now, can you tell my listeners a bit about yourself, your athletic background and how you got interested in female physiology? Yeah. Um, so gosh, I, started way back when as a ballerina I was told I oh. should probably think about switching to running instead <laughs> so um oh, I think yeah. I was getting too tall or gangly yeah. so I chose running and started running when I was 13 um and was pretty active through my whole life and when I got to university I was on the rowing team and um was training pretty hard 
and saw some discrepancies between what the was happening with the guys with regards to their training and adaptation and race performance versus what the women's lightweight boat was doing. And we were effectively doing the same training. So at the same time at university in ex-phys and metabolism started asking questions and really was not getting the answers. Like there were no answers. Yeah. They're like, women are anomalies. We don't know enough about women. Women have a menstrual cycle. We might study them, group them in with the men and none of them, none of those answers were appropriate. They're still not, and I still hear that. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was what, 18 or 19, this was the driving force of trying to find answers to help myself and my teammates. And I don't even want to say how many years later. <laughs> it's been my it's academic right. <laughs> and... Yeah, my academic and professional drive because I've raced bikes at a high level. I've done Ironman at a high level. I did um, 20 yeah. marathons before I was 20. So uh, huge wow. endurance background. Yeah. And um, yeah, so it's just in the past about three or four years starting to see the uptake that women are not small men. We need to pay attention to physiology. How do we train our women better? How do we maximize performance? Um, which is exciting, but I'm like, gosh, it's it's 20 years in the making at least. Yeah, so, yeah. but now getting uptake, yeah, yeah, which is which is fantastic, and um, obviously why I want to talk to you because um, you know I have a podcast on endurance and I um, coach clients, and I think it's really good for women to know that it is different for them. So, can you tell us the main ways? You know, I mean, I'm sure there's there's many the main ways that women differ from men as athletes? So we know that there are sex differences from birth in muscle enzyme activity. Um, really important for female endurance athletes to understand that we are born from a XX point of view with more of the protein for fatty acid utilization. So it's not a hormone driven thing. We have oh, okay. more, more of the protein available for the mitochondria to use medium and long chain fatty acids. And so that's one of the inherent sex differences. There's also muscle enzyme activity, sex differences, which um, precludes us from doing as many days, high intensity activity as men. So you'll see it in training camps and stuff. You'll have women that are in the same levelish kind of playing field as the men and you might have three or four really intense days and the women will be right at the front keeping pace for the first couple of days and then day three they're like Ugh, starting to slow down but then by about day five or six they pick it back up when the men start to slow down and it has to do with enzyme activity and the protein the mitochondria the way that women's bodies respond it has absolutely nothing to do with recovery and nutrition it's just those inherent sex differences and if we look at like the big picture around the onset of puberty is when we start seeing really significant changes. And that's the epigenetic change we have with the exposure of estrogen, progesterone, and then for men, testosterone. And this is where we start to see those sex differences from a biological standpoint where estrogen, progesterone, the menstrual cycle directly affects so many systems in the body. Um, and then with testosterone being very anabolic and pushing lean mass development, um, bone development, um, even affects cognition, reaction, mood, aggression, you see this change inherently at, at puberty. And then as we are going through life, it's the menstrual cycle that really has an effect on performance with regards to when estrogen and progesterone are low, we recover better, our core temperature is lower, 
we have more blood volume available for um, cardiac output and for sweating, thermoregulation. Um, we have a greater ability to access carbohydrate from our muscle and our liver so we can hit intensities, we recover better. Um, and then as estrogen progesterone start to go up, this is where we start to see a lot of the changes in our training performance. And it's more of being aware because I don't want people to say, oh, there's a negative time in my menstrual cycle for performance. It's yeah. just if you're aware of it, then you have that objective data. So knowing when estrogen and progesterone come up, um, there's more of an inflammatory response. Progesterone is very strong with pro-inflammatory cytokines. So it's harder to recover. It's also catabolic. So we need more protein. Our core temperature is elevated. So we need to think about how are we going to bring our core temperature down faster for recovery or if it's a hot day because there's sweat. Um, sweat rate differences between the menstrual cycle phases. There's also cognition changes when estrogen crosses a blood-brain barrier. It affects neurotransmitters. So we get that brain fog and we have a slower reaction time. So knowing these things and allowing women to understand that things fluctuate across the menstrual cycle, you can do one of two things. One, you can schedule your training around these fluctuations um, once you have really good data on yourself. So that's why you have all these menstrual cycle tracking apps that are out because you can pinpoint, how do I feel around ovulation? How do I feel four or five days before my period starts? So you start to get this objective data and knowing that there are permutations in your, in your hormones that will make you feel this way. So it's not your fitness, it's your physiology. You can start dialing in your training. Um, but if you're looking from a race perspective and knowing that a race is on a certain day and you can't change the race according yeah. to your schedule, which we wish we could, yeah. um, it's knowing that there are certain nutrition things that you can do, like in using branched chain amino acids to get more leucine across the blood brain barrier to affect the same receptor sites that estrogen do to mitigate that central nervous system fatigue, to drink something that's icy cold before you go out on a long run or a hot run, to just drop your core temperature before you start, to salt your food during the taper week, to boost your total body um, sodium stores, make sure that you're eating and drinking stuff with sodium in it, but not taking salt tablets because it's too much. But there's lots of little things that you can do to mitigate and level that playing field. But the first step is being aware. Yeah. And then when you think about like hormonal contraception, that's another ball game in itself as well, because we're looking at the different formulations. Is it an IUD? Is it an implant? Is it an oral contraceptive pill? And each one of those have a different exertional fact on the cells. So we know that the higher the concentration of estrogen progesterone, the more our top end is, is um, muted. So we don't mm. adapt very well to high intensity. Um, we can't hit the VO2 peaks that we would like to. Um, our short interval training sessions are a little bit attenuated. You'll find time off the mark in track sessions are a little bit slower as well. Uh, harder to recover. Um, so this is so why taking the pill just in general, mm -hmm. not, not yep. at any specific point of the cycle, but the whole time. Yeah, because mm. primarily in Australia and New Zealand, um, you have what we call a monophasic pill. So it's three yeah. weeks of stable active pill and then the placebo week. And a lot of people think the placebo week is a, ble is a period, but it's not, it's a withdrawal yeah. bleed. And what happens with that um, 
is a woman's individual SIP gene, so that's the gene that metabolizes drugs, is a bit different. So you might have two days of a washout and then boom, your estrogen comes back up. So it becomes a high hormone week, or it might be four days, you don't know. So that that placebo week is not a low hormone week either. So understanding that you have really high and then high and trying to understand how do you mitigate these changes. But if you have an IUD or an in, implantant or an implant, um, it's a progestin only driven cycle. So you're still having your natural estrogen. So you're still having a natural cycle and you can track that um, through basal body temperature or ov ovulation predictor kit. So there are different mechanisms to track. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's when someone's on a, a some kind of contraception, I wanna understand why. Are you on it because yeah. someone told you to be on it? Because if you're an athlete and you didn't have your periods, you shouldn't be on a pill. If you have low bone density, you shouldn't be on a pill because it doesn't help with bone density. Um, if you're looking for a pure contraception, then yeah, there are different options. You don't have to be on the pill itself. And then we get into the other whole thing of perimenopause, menopause, which is another section in itself. Um, yeah. But I might pause pause there because you might have some questions up to that well, point. Um, so you would recommend um, not going on the contraceptive pill if someone wants contraception. I mean, I personally was once put on a pill that completely stopped my periods because I didn't want a period because of racing. And then I did more research mm -hmm. and find out, you know, that being on the pill is unhealthy. What do you think of those mm -hmm. kind of pills? I mean, is that much the same as well with the high yeah, estrogen? So, yeah. So, um, a lot of women are scared of an IUD because mm. of some of the negative feedback that we've seen in the past, but they've redesigned it. So it's smaller, it's more flexible. If you get an ultrasound guided implantation, then it's, it's pretty good. Like it's fail proof. It's on the top 200 medications deemed essential by who for pregnancy prevention. And a lot of women don't get their periods when they're an IUD or they might get spotting every three to four months, but it's really reversible and you still have your own estrogen and, and, ovarian hormones working so I try to get women towards that or the implant in which is your implant when we're talking about heavy bleeding IUD works for yeah. Meharanja and heavy bleeding really well if you're looking at not wanting your period it's like okay well is it not wanting your period because it's quote a hassle for racing yeah. Because if it is, then we can look and see, well, if you're using something that's making everything a bit lighter, you're not going to get the same kind of negative cramping and that kind of stuff. Um, I know there's some debate out there about having a period or not having a period. You'll, you'll see old white pharmaceutical doctor saying, no one needs their period. And it was designed to mimic. That's why we have a, an active pill. And then you have the newer scope. It's like, well, actually you do need your period, not mm. from a withdrawal bleed, but to make sure that your endocrine system is healthy. Because if that's healthy, then you're a healthy athlete. Mm. Yeah. Well, um, I know many years ago I was emineric. I think that's how you pronounce it. And I got stress fractures and those sorts of things. And I, and I was, you know, mid thirties and I did not even realize that that's what periods were good for as an, an out, yeah. you know? Yeah. 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 I know it's so not discussed. And yeah. a lot of girls when they start running cross country in high school, right. And their periods are regular or they might have really light periods and all of a sudden it's heavy bleeding or they heard they should go on the pill for certain reasons. They just get mm. put on a pill Yeah. with no 
conversation around it, or they had really regular periods and then they stop. And so they think, oh, well, it's irregular. You need to be put on a pill to control it. But that's the exact opposite thing that should be happening. It's like, let's make sure everything's good and healthy. And then we can look at different options. Yeah. And that's it. And I think that's when you can tell a female athlete is healthy is when she's having a regular period. Yeah, exactly. I and think, what a, um, sorry, what oh, about athletes sorry. who have um, like irregular periods just naturally? How do yeah, they um, um, track it and, and, and work with that? Yeah, so um, it's really normal, especially um, endurance female athletes having irregular cycles. The norm for women is 10 a year, not 12 a year. Um, oh, okay. And and we know that oh, we can look at data from women who are in a in a heavy training phase versus and maybe traveling versus oh you're breaking up or postseason lower training phase that their cycle does change. Oh, yeah. can you hear me? Yeah, I've got you okay. now. Yeah, that's okay. Okay. Um. So we know that when they're in that low low phase of training that their cycles become pretty regular. When then that right. high period of training, you'll start to see the follicular phase lengthening um, just in, in response to the stress if they're a healthy athlete. If they're not and they're not eating enough or they're getting into low energy state, they'll have what we call progesterone insufficiency or luteal phase deficiency that, that shortens up the period. And then it'll lengthen. So you start having these irregular periods. If you're not in a good energy state, um, you'll see a shortening and then a lengthening. But if you're healthy and you're traveling, you have a higher training load, then it'll become longer because that follicular phase is lengthening. Yeah. And I guess um, it's tricky because a lot of women are under the can, misconception, I don't know, that being light, thinner and lighter is, is better, which can affect their periods too. Yeah, for so sure. How, yeah, how do we encourage women to, to focus more on the, on the health of their body rather than the weight? And body weight, I know. So um, working with runners and cyclists, I see this all the time because it's all a, a power to weight ratio. So yes. I'm always trying to tell them about strength and I want my athletes to go into the race season a little bit heavier than what they want because then they can afford to lose weight without getting sick, injured, mm. or amenorrheic. So we focus really on the strength component and how strong you are because you have strength and develop the power through the strength, then it's not a weight issue because you'll see a lot of women who are like trying to be uber thin because yeah. they have this ideal weight that they think that's their performance. But um, they'll start fading in the second half of the race season. They'll get sick. They'll get injured. And so it's not really beneficial when you look at the big picture. Whereas if you go in strong and healthy and you start to lose a bit of weight along the way, you maintain your race kudos through the entire season without you know, getting that sickness and injury and amenorrhea. It is a fine line, but we really take the emphasis off weight weight and power to weight ratio and put it on pure strength and speed. Yeah, I think, I think that's a great focus. And um, with, um, you know, if women want to lose weight throughout their training and are we still looking at, you know, calories in, calories out? What is your idea of how women should focus on their food? Yeah, so we know that um, 
if you think about how many calories you need to eat, and this is typical of a woman who's working and racing and trying to do really well. Um, so get up early, do a session, may or may not have breakfast. There's a bit of a delay. Then they have time to eat. And then they're really busy at work. Then they have kids stuff, or maybe they don't have kids stuff. They have after work stuff. Then they finally get to dinner, have a big dinner, go to bed and repeat. But the problem with that is there's a really big hole between the time that they finish training and the time they eat. So they're in this great catabolic state or breakdown state, which is the same response in the body as if you don't eat at all or you are in low energy availability. So the way that we look at it is if you do that and you think you're eating enough um, from a calorie in, calorie out, but you're bookending it on either side of the day or pushing it towards night, yeah. you're going to gain weight because your body's in that breakdown state for such a long time it gets into conservation. So we talk about fueling for what you're doing. So you can moderate carbohydrate intake if you're having a lower intensity day versus a higher intensity day. And if you're fueling for what you're doing in or around training and stopping that breakdown state, then you can look to times away from training, maybe not having a pre-dinner snack or not having dessert. So you're taking out maybe 200, 300 calories towards the end of the day. Mm. That's not around training. And this is how we facilitate body fat loss and weight loss without getting into a low energy state. Um, Cause it's not about calories in calories out. Mm. If it is a public burden aspect and someone's trying to lose weight and they're not exercising, then yeah, it's calories in calories out. Yeah. But when you're looking at women who are exercising at a higher intensity with a focus and they're doing it every day, it becomes the timing and the quality. So it's the timing in and around training and then the quality and the nutrient density of everything else. Now, does the nutrients that women need differ from that of men? Like, do we need more or less protein or carbs, those sorts of things? Um, so the recommendation, I think, is max of... 1.8 to 2 grams per kilogram body weight for women, which is on the lower end when we look at, okay. at what's going on. So for women, the 2 to 2.3 range is really beneficial. The lower end for low hormone, the higher end for high hormone and um, peri and postmenopausal. Um, we, it's all about amino acid availability, leucine crossing the blood-brain barrier. Um, carbohydrate, we're lower uh, than men because we have estrogen and sex difference in muscle enzyme activity that allows us to access more free fatty acids. So we don't need as much carbohydrate. Yeah. And this is where people start to be like, Oh, no carbs. I'm not saying no carbs. I'm yeah. saying, you know, on low intensity days or recovery days, three grams per kilogram of body weight on long run days or high intensity days, you're looking more of that four to four and a half grams per kilogram of body weight. And that's a bare minimum. Of course, okay. you know, if you have, double sessions or back-to-back -back high intensity days, you're looking a little bit higher. Um, but the recommendations, the current recommendations that are out there of five to eight grams is way too high for oh, women. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. 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 And um, what about as a woman um, heads towards menopause, how does that mm -hmm. change her nutritional needs? Oh, so this is um, the interesting part where, we know that all the body comp changes happen in perimenopause. So the weight oh, okay. gain, the serial fat gain, all of that stuff happens about four or five years before menopause actually is noticeable. So your late 40s. 
Um, and then what happens in that time period, it kind of stays because then after your period stop and you have a flat line of hormones, it's more of an age, age associated body comp change, not a hormonal change. Mm-hmm. So when we're looking at the four to five years around, you know, your late forties, early fifties, you can get an idea of like when it might hit you by looking at your mom and your grandma, um, or if you're having symptoms, you're looking at more high intensity work, definitely hitting resistance training. You need to maintain muscle mass because estrogen is really critical for myosin. So myosin contractile strength within the muscle protein itself. And when the estrogen starts fluctuating, you get less of the stronger contraction. You get less of the myosin stimulation. So doing heavy resistance training keeps that. It's a neuromuscular thing. Um, Moderating your carbohydrate intake because we become more insulin um, resistant. So it's now looking at fruit and veg for carbohydrate intake, less of the um, quick hits, unless you're actually doing a long run and you need a quick hit of, of sugar yeah. um, and hitting that protein, getting that top in that, that 2.3 grams per kilogram body weight. Um, because it's all about trying to maintain lean mass, the integrity of the lean mass and slowing down that visterial abdominal type body fat gain yeah yeah okay and so um so you you're an advocate for strength training as you've said with with as you're heading towards perimenopause and menopause but it's important do you think it's important throughout a a female athlete's career and life yes yes for sure um so there's two things about it it's we there's some studies coming out just this week about endurance and strength training from a long time habit and its effect on cardiovascular bone and muscle strength. So we know that the earlier you start resistance training, the more it's kind of ingrained in the neuromuscular pathway and the less chance you have for losing lean mass when you get older. Same with bone. And from a cardiovascular standpoint, the more or the longer you've been doing endurance work, it changes the the structure and the functionality of the heart. So you have less of a risk for cardiovascular disease when you hit menopause. So it's the additive years of resistance training and additive years of endurance training that are super beneficial for later in life. And then from a performance aspect, doing resistance training, to build the weak muscles, eliminate muscle imbalances, really does so far with injury prevention. Yes. So the stronger you are and the more control you have, if you're especially if you're trail running or ultra running or anything like that, your landing mechanics, you want to make sure those are nailed so you're not going to end up with an ACL risk or torn calf muscle or Achilles or hamstring. Because if you're imbalanced from resistance training and getting all of those things going, then you can keep going on in your in your running career and and a lot of women are scared of bulking up and that's really not an issue is it no it's not it's not um it's really difficult for women to put on a massive amount of muscle mass unless they're mesomorphic or have pcos which they have a higher exposure and epigenetic aspect of testosterone but for the normal woman it's really difficult to put on muscle mass um, muscle strength, different story. So mm. we can really build the strength of our contractions and it has to do with the kind of, of weightlifting you're doing. So if you're doing the zero to six rep um, heavyweight 
low rep type work, you're going to get really strong contractile strength in your muscles. So you're going to be strong, but you're not going to bulk up. When you start doing that 10 to 12 rep range, more of that hypertrophy stuff, if you have that mesomorphic aspect or a genetic aspect for bulking up, you will put on more bulk than someone who doesn't. But you're not going to bulk up to Miss Olympia size. <laughs> no, especially not when you're doing endurance training. That's very difficult. Right, to... <laughs> exactly. You have to pick one or the other, right? Yeah, exactly. You want to put weight on, no endurance. Yes, that's it. <laughs> um, now, Say, for instance, when you've got a race coming up and, um, you know, you, I know we don't really carbo load anymore, but we tend to um, sort of uh, probably are having more carbs before a race. Does that change for women? Like, do they need more carbs before a race? Because I know most of that well, testing was probably done on men. Yeah, and they have done some in women seeing if they can increase glycogen stores. Yeah. And effectively, no, um, oh. we can't. Um, the way to top up your glycogen is really to make sure that you're eating adequate protein and carbohydrate after every session. So in a training week, when you're looking at putting more carbs in, again, every time you go out for one of your sessions during taper week, you make sure that you're recovering well, even if it's a 20 minute, like 20 minutes is enough to, to yeah. release some of the glycogen, get a little bit depleted, um, and then, yeah, make sure that you're just staying on top of, of the refueling and you're not going to bed low. So you're not sleeping low and training low and all that kind of stuff. Um, but from a glycogen loading perspective, women just can't do it as well as men can. So yeah. it's more, what are you eating during the week and when are you eating it? And what about during the race with, with race food um, and, you know, the engineered foods versus real foods? And also I know that you're, uh, prefer to separate nutrition from hydration. Can you talk to us a bit about that as well? Yeah, so the reason why I've always said like hydration and then food is be limited yep. with you. Sorry, sorry. Sorry, can you just um, so you say that sure bit that again? You want to make, oh. Just say that oh, last sentence again. We kind of, you kind of lost you for a sec there. Yeah, um, I say hydration because there's you can bring with you or that's available or that you can actually process so you want to make sure that it works for you and then when you're talking about food you want to be able to eat for what the terrain is what the temperature is um what and what kind of food that you're eating and when we talk about using gels, liquid carbohydrates, that kind of stuff, it ends up being a massive amount of carbohydrate in the gut that's compromised from not having blood flow. And there's sex differences in our ability to absorb a lot of the stuff that's in those gels and, and maltodextrin and, and fructose-based engineered products. Um, we, as women, can't absorb as much fructose as men. Oh, okay. Um, we, yeah. So we end up with more of what we call a brush border effect where the fructose hangs out in the small intestines and causes a lot of the gas and bloating. And during that time, there's water coming from other spaces to dilute the pressure that's being built up. So it's more of an effective dehydration. Oh. Um, 
yeah, so then people are like, oh, I'm dehydrated, I'm gassy, and maybe I need salt tablets, and you don't need salt tablets. So it just becomes this like compounding variable. It's like, yeah. oh, I'm doing all this carbohydrate. Oh, I'm getting dehydrated. I'm going to take more carbohydrate drink. It's not working. I'm cramping salt tablets, and it's all building up oh, wow. in the small intestines, and your body's like, no, no, can't handle it. Yeah. So what, what should women have? I mean, myself, I like to have basically mainly real food. Is, is mm-hmm. that sustainable, do you think, to have real food when racing? Yeah, yeah. And it also depends on intensity. Like if you're going to do a 10K road race, then you don't yeah. really need fuel, you just need hydration, right? But if yeah. you're doing um, anything half marathon on up, ultras, right? So half marathon, you might be able to get by with um, energy chews or little yeah. you know, dinosaur bites or what is it, nature's confectionery candy. You know, little, little lollies. Yeah, but yeah. when you start getting marathon and above, you need to think about having little bliss balls um, that are low fruit based. So it could be protein powder and, and um, brown rice syrup um, combination with some nut butter. Um, yeah. You can do little bits of bread, you know, something that's easy, digestible. And a lot of people are like, I can't chew while I'm running, I can't chew while I'm racing. Well, it depends on the intensity. And you yeah. practice and practice and practice, and then it works. Yeah. Yeah, so the main thing is to practice so that you know know what you can have and chew, I guess, as well. Yeah. Um, now, what is what are your thoughts on uh, fasting and fasted runs and, and those sorts of things for women? I am not a fan. When I look at the literature on fasting, mm. um, we have to put that dividing line between what, like, the fitness industry has pushed our way and what's real. So we know that if you are not exercising – and you're trying to get the long-term bits of um, longevity, then fasting can work for you. But if we're looking from a human performance and athletic standpoint, fasting does not work for the fact that for women and men, we both have a neuropeptide called kispeptin. And kispeptin is responsible for pretty much signaling our endocrine system for our sex hormones to work. If we are exercising in a fasted state, it perturbs the body and kispeptin is downregulated. So then you don't get the stimulation for a normal endocrine system. Um, And when you're thinking about all the reasons that people want to fast, to increase telomere length, to increase reliance on free fatty acids, um, to become, quote, metabolically efficient, all those things already happen with exercise. So we know that for sure, that all the exercise data mimics the fasting data, um, but it's stronger. And then the other side is women are already at their max fatty acid oxidation capacity by the nature of having a sex difference in the muscle um, with the predisposition to being able to process more of the fatty acids and estrogen, because estrogen spares glycogen and increases free fatty acid use. So we're already at that max capacity. Um, and all we see from the fasted and the low carb literature is that performance just takes a big hit. And women get sick, they become amenorrheic, and then they put on body fat and they're wondering what's going on. So fueling is beautiful. Carbohydrates are beautiful. Yeah. And there's nothing more miserable than doing a fasted run, to be honest. I know. You're like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. 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 No, I've tried it and I didn't like it, so I don't do it. Um, Good work. Yeah. And um, so um, is there anything else that you think um, female athletes would benefit from knowing? Are there some, some things that I maybe haven't touched on or anything that you think would be worthwhile? 
um, a lot of female athletes have issues with iron and iron mm. absorption and anemia. And they'll try taking iron tablets and it's not working. Um, they might be an infusion and then they bottom out. And it's not about um, the iron per se, it's about not being able to absorb it. So with endurance exercise, you have progressive inflammation. And across the menstrual cycle, you also have a higher level of inflammation in the late luteal phase or the high hormone phase. And whenever you have inflammation, you're also upregulating hepcidin. It's an enzyme responsible for slowing down the absorption of iron. Okay. So if you're in a constant inflammatory state, you have more hepcidin, which inhibits your gut from absorbing iron. What we do know from um, work actually in Australia, um, from Peter Peeling's lab, is if you take vitamin D3 after exercise, it drops that inflammation and allows your body to absorb iron. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. That's excellent. So, you know, if you're on the cusp of anemia, or low iron stores, low ferritin, and you're still on the low end of normal, and your doctor's like, nah, you're still on the low end of normal, which I hear a lot from female athletes, yeah, yeah. right? And then you get into a heavy training block, and then your iron starts getting even further on the low end, but they still won't do anything. Yeah. It's taking the vitamin D3 and then a high dose iron once a week to oh, help okay. boost iron circulating and to make sure yeah. you're actually absorbing it. What about um, female athletes who are vegetarian or vegan? Do they need to have any special considerations for their diet? Um, not so much vegetarian, but vegan, you need to make sure that um, if you're doing plant-based protein powders, that you're boosting it with some vegan branched chain amino acids to get the leucine level up. Because yeah. a lot of the plant-based proteins uh, are low in leucine and a lot of the amino acids might not be bioavailable because they're wrapped up with fiber. So it's just being a little bit more conscious that you're getting high leucine intake from different foods. And if you are having a, a reliance more on plant-based protein powders to boost it with a fermented vegan branched chain amino acid. Yeah. And um, you've, you've spoken about taking the branched chain amino acids and vitamin D3. Do you recommend women take other sorts of supplements at all? Or do you think we should no, just- really. Yeah get some blood tests. If you're low on something, then, you know, go the medical route. But for the most part, if you're eating a wide variety of foods, lots of colorful foods, you're going to get what you need. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I'm just checking. Uh, what about injuries? Are women more susceptible to general injuries in running than men? Um, there's the, the kind of myth with a little bit of science behind ACL injuries and a, and a greater rate of injury um, for women, but it has to do with the mechanics, not necessarily uh, estrogen driven. So people mm. think, oh, around ovulation, you have a greater risk for ACL tear because estrogen decreases the tensile strength of the ligaments, which is true. But if you have the proper mechanics behind it, which we are not retaught, around the onset of puberty when our hips widen and we have a greater Q angle and our foot placement is different, um, then we are more at risk for injury. But if we work on our running mechanics, we work on our efficiency of movement and we do the strength training to get that muscle balance, then our injury risk is low. Yeah, okay, that's good to know. And are, I, I mean, a lot of um, 
the testing that has been done on athletes is men, obviously, because like you said at the start, they said, well, women have periods and it makes it too difficult. Uh, no, women, is there being more research being done on women so that we can have a bit more of a broader range of knowledge? Yes, I'm very excited awesome. about that. Yep. Um, there's been a lot coming out in the strength world in the past couple of years, which is how the phase-based training has come to be. Um, there's more coming out in the endurance world, um, which is awesome. I know that there are four special uh, topic requests for sex differences and female athlete considerations across the board. Um, so there's a lot of interesting stuff that will be coming out in the next year or less. Um, so mm. I'm really excited about that. It's good. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's, that's good to know. And um, I know that you said um, women should have not as many high intensity days. If women are going onto the internet and grabbing um, training programs, um, well, firstly, should they, or, or can, how can they adapt them to maybe be more female specific? Um, so if we look at like a general training plan and sometimes they'll have high intensity, high intensity, then two recovery days, that's fine. Mm. Two high intensity days in a row and then a recovery day, that's fine. But when you start looking at moderate intensity and then high intensity and then high intensity, then moderate intensity, which is a lot of things like go out for a 40 minute, um, you know, endurance run and then you have track day and then you have tempo run day. So you see all of these things that are in there. You have two intense days and they're in 36 hours. So you might have two morning sessions and then an evening session. And then you can fall into the, to that recovery standpoint that your body needs without moderating too much to the training program. Yeah. So just, just basically ensuring that there is sufficient rest and easy days. Yeah. 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 And the best, best way to think about it is, on day one, when your period starts, that's that's kind of a signal of sweet. Now I'm primed for high intensity. So you can do high intensity, the two days on, 36 hour off kind of thing, um, until ovulation. And then around ovulation, you get to more steady state work or the, the sweet spot, the 20 minute work. Um, okay. And then the five to seven days before your period starts, we often look at this as a deload, where mm -hmm. if you're have the ability to train and not race, which I don't think any of us are racing at the moment because of the COVID situation. Sadly, yeah. Right? That's the time to work on economy of movement, skills, um, technique on the bar. So it's not high weight. It's just all about technique and movement economy and mobility. Um, your body's a little bit fatigued from the way the hormones are affecting brain and reaction time. But if you're nailing technique and movement economy in that five to seven day deload period, then when you get to the low hormone state, you're on, you're on because yeah. you have that motor pattern. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it makes sense to work with it rather than trying to fight, uh, fight. Exactly. The cycle. Yeah. Now, am I yeah. correct in believing that like, um, women's balance changes with the hormone levels? Um, yeah, some women will report that around ovulation and the five or so days before their period starts, they feel a bit uncoordinated. And this, again, is estrogen crossing blood-brain barrier. Um, and this is where if you are tracking, you'll know when these days are. So then you put you know, steps into play like, well, maybe I shouldn't go to the gym and do heavy lifting that day because I'm not that coordinated. Maybe I shouldn't go do a technical trail run because I don't really want to fall over. So just knowing where you are. Um, 
but then, you know, in, in those um, days before your period starts where you're feeling like you're not balanced is the time to work on it. So mm. again, when you go out, right. And the other times of your cycle, you don't have issues with balance. Yeah. Yeah. No, that sounds good. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate um, you talking with me today. Where can people um, follow you or get more information and, or find your book raw, which is an absolute awesome book that I've read a number of times. Where, where's somewhere they can get all that information? Oh, thanks. Um, where am I? Um, I'm pretty much on all the social media platforms as Dr. Stacy Sims, and yep. we're launching a comprehensive web, website that's still drstacysims.com. Yep. Um, there's a, a placeholder with information on it, but it's being revamped and renovated to be relaunched towards the end of the month. Okay. Yes. Yep. All right. No worries. Well, I'll put um, links for that <clears throat> in the show notes. And um, yeah, once Thanks. again, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, it's been fun. Bye. So a big takeaway for me from this interview was that women cannot do as many high-intensity workouts close together as men. Also, that women have more free fatty acids in their bloodstream compared to men, meaning fasted runs are not necessary. Thank God, because I do not like doing fasted runs. However, I do think short, you know, early morning easy runs before work, you know, without any food generally are okay. But if you're wanting to do some sort of speed session or a longer, longer run before work, just a piece of toast, even just one with some peanut butter is good and also helps you stop, stops that feeling of being so hungry. I don't know about you. Uh, comment in the, in the post notes um, what your thoughts are on that topic. I'd really be interested to hear and also what your experiences have been with fasted runs compared to not fasted runs. I've done both and I tend to find I run better when I am, am not thinking constantly about how hungry I am. Um, and, you know, because that to me is just miserable. And running, even when it's a hard workout session, running should be fun. Anyway, let me know your thoughts. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. I really appreciate people who rate and review. I know it's a bit of a hassle, but I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much. <clears throat> My next week's interview is with Amy Bender, sleep specialist from Canada. She's actually worked with Dave Proctor, who I've interviewed in the past, and um, I asked Dave if he would get me in contact with Amy so that I could interview her because I'd love to know more about um, how to maximise sleep for athletic potential. And can I tell you, it was a really interesting conversation, so join me next week for that one. Make sure you stay committed and consistent with your, tra consistent with your training. I'll be able to speak English one day even though we are in lockdown. I know it's so hard at the moment. I, I'm feeling it too, like a motivation, especially if you're in Victoria for um, ISO 2.0 is just like really hard to find. But this, this is where the magic is made. When you push through and um, really focus on becoming a better athlete now, you will reap the rewards later. And if you want help with this, please email me, isabel at peakendurancecoaching.com.au and we can have a chat. Have a great week of training, stay healthy, look after your loved ones. And remember, we are all in this together and we will all get through this together.